Today's reading is Deuteronomy 29, verses 2 to 4, and then verses 9 to 18. It can be found on page 188 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his land. With your own eyes you saw those great trials, those signs and great wonders. But to this day the Lord has not given you a mind that understands, or eyes that see, or ears that hear. Carefully follow the terms of this covenant, so that you may prosper in everything you do. All of you are standing today in the presence of the Lord your God, your leaders and chief men, your elders and officials, and all the other men of Israel, together with your children and your wives and the foreigners living in your camps who chop your wood and carry your water. You are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm you this day as his people, that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am making this covenant with its oath, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, but also with those who are not here today. You yourselves know how we lived in Egypt and how we passed through the countries on the way here. You saw among them their detestable images and idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold. Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace, we might try to pull ourselves together and look good as we walk into this place. But the truth is um, that some of us have hurt welling up, wounds, fresh or old, that just, that just are taking up so much emotional energy this morning. Maybe we thought we could escape them, or maybe we hoped this morning that you would speak to them. And others of us come uh, maybe terrified because we were brought here. <laughs> we finally said yes to a friend, and um, we're still trying to figure out, do I belong in, in a place like this with people like this, singing songs and saying the things these people are saying? And others of us come uh, perhaps very grateful and thankful for um, blessings, answers to prayer, and others of us come calling out, in desperation. Some come with great faith, others come doubting like never before. And from all these places, the truth is, we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. We're more broken than we want the person next to us to know. And the story of the Bible is that you move towards broken, messy lives with your love. And in, in fact, you enter into the brokenness and take it on yourself. And so we are more broken than we care to admit, but we're more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. Would you speak to us and teach us through that 
very uncommon grace this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I, if, if you can find a pen, if you can humor me and find a pen to write on something that you might be able to take home with you, uh, or a pencil, um, and it's okay if you don't like doing what everyone else is doing, and you're just going to either pretend or just um, very stubbornly sit there and say, I'm not going to do that, it's fine, I won't be offended. But for those of you who'd like to, just write down one simple question somewhere. It's not an SAT, it's not, uh, it's, it's not going to be a paragraph, it's just a few, a few words. Five words. So you put this question, am I rooted in grace? Simple. Am I rooted in grace? And maybe just kind of peek down at that during the more dull parts of what I'm about to say. (laughs) You know, my family, all six of us, we rooted ourselves or planted ourselves into a minivan this summer for basically five weeks <laughs> and we had great experiences i mean i'm not going to go into a lot of them i'm going to save some time but just an example that would, wouldn't have happened if we wouldn't have entered into this car together on this journey for five weeks is um we had a we had a ticket system and words of the day and the tickets could be used at stops to buy things like the kids so this is this is our little uh, uh behavioral system that we had implemented and try to make it seem really fun. So if they do the things we'd like them to do uh, in the car, they get a ticket. And, and so we had words of the day. And so it was just something that never could have happened unless we all got in a car and did this together, these, these memorable experiences, is to have Oscar, our almost, uh, not even two years old at the time, um, sitting backwards in his car seat, calling out words of the day, Navajo, Peterbilt, KOA, and... <laughs> And reaching back with his hand to the grown-up to get a ticket. <laughs> you know, by day two, he had figured out the system. It was just, just hilarious. So we're driving around Sacramento still, and he'll just call out, KOA, you know. <laughs> Put his arm out for a ticket. We'll scrounge around. Do we have any of those darn tickets laying around in the car yet? Um, it, it wouldn't have happened. These great memories that we have and many more to share. Uh, it wouldn't have happened if we hadn't rooted ourselves in a car for five weeks together. It reminds me of a reverse journey that I read about when I read Grapes of Wrath early in the summer, and the Jode family in the Dust Bowl comes across the same route in reverse, um, and Mama Jode, who is like the rock and the foundation of this, this family in this riveting story, at one point somebody suggests, how about two of us men go ahead in another vehicle to California to, to kind of get established and earn some money and, and make a place for ourselves and you can come join us. And she got really intense and put her foot down and said, no, we are not splitting up. We're going to make this journey in one vehicle. We're going to be together because we've already lost this person and this person died and this person just wandered off one day. No. We're going to be together. We're going to be in this together. In many ways, with that kind of intensity is what you've got to imagine when, in the Bible, when you, there's a, sort of a famous passage where Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, I think it is about, and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. Or take our passage today when Moses is at the end of his life, and it's his final sermons he's delivering to these people who are about to go into a very scary land, a new land, and he's not going to be able to go with them. And so Deuteronomy, is the book, is basically his final words and his kind of pep talk and, and his final goodbye speech. And he 
basically says in, the, in more biblical words than what uh, uh, I was just talking about in terms of road trips. He says, remain, stay in the covenant. Stay in God's covenant love. Stay in it. That's basically what's happening here. It's a covenantal moment. And I think um, we need covenant moments in our lives. We need these times to stop and sort of reassess, reevaluate. We are so flaky in our devotion. We are so um, wandering with our hearts. We, we get great ideas. I had great ideas at the beginning of the sabbatical. I had things I started for a couple weeks, and then the road trip started, and I didn't even realize until the road trip was done that I had not been doing or reading the Bible in this way that I was planning on doing it all sabbatical, and I just, ugh, I needed a covenantal moment to sort of reassess so we're entering into the fall, and often this is start, all systems go, let's start up again in whatever kind of life post-summer we have, and how about a covenantal moment for fickle, flaky people like ourselves? And, and when you re- read the book of De- Deuteronomy, there's always these different elements that are part of this. So, so we'll just look at three things that you're invited to do in a covenantal moment. You're invited, first of all, to awe. I know it's not really a verb. You're invited to awe or to be in awe. You're invited to remember and you're invited to commit. Awe, remember, and commit. In verse 12, you see this invitation into covenant. And I want us to be in awe of covenant. The language goes like this. You are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God. A covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm this day, to confirm you this day as His people that He may be your God as He promised you and as He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I am making this covenant. Covenant, covenant, covenant. It's a big word. That's a meta word. That's a mega word in the Bible. There's only one other word that comes anywhere close to competing with the word covenant in terms of the bigness and the grandness of how it explains the whole biblical story. The other word would be kingdom. You decide which one, like my seminary professors used to argue about, which one's more central, covenant or kingdom? Covenant or kingdom? I think kingdom. I think covenant. They're big words. They help us understand what's going on in the Bible. Covenant. Covenant is a gracious agreement that God makes with us. Think about our agreements that we make. You're in agreements, whether you think about it every day or not. Some of you are in a rental agreement. Some of you are in a a mortgage agreement. Some of you, like me, just signed a new school agreement for parent participation. You have these agreements. And what do they all involve? They involve, um, you know, I give you something and you give me something. And if your end kind of starts to get flaky, you're not coming through, I'm not getting what I signed up for, then I start pursuing, it becomes a problem, right? I'm not willing to just stand around and do my part while you're not doing your part. And so we do various things. You might get a lawyer, right, depending on the kind of agreement. You might, you know, so, you're, so now you're talking about like maybe a lawsuit and you because you want to get yours. You don't want to lose your side. Or it might just be a hard conversation you have with someone. It might be, I'm out of this agreement because it's not suiting me anymore. It's not what I thought it would be. You're not doing the thing on your side that I thought you were going to do when we first got into this agreement. And nobody, in the end, in, these, in the human realm, in these agreements, let's just face it, none of us are willing 
to take a loss on our side. We consider that a problem that needs to be dealt with. We don't take losses well. And so it makes it difficult for us to understand and to, be, and to grapple with what God does because God takes a loss. God sets up covenants. This is the story of the Bible, friends. God sets up agreements and covenants. And you don't see it yet in Deuteronomy here. You don't quite yet see it. You would have seen it if you followed the story as they went through the desert. You would have seen God taking a loss a little bit. But you don't really see it right away. But eventually you see that in this covenant world of the Bible, God makes an agreement with Abraham and there's animal carcasses cut in half and put on each side in ancient practice. We have, you know, it doesn't make sense to us, right? There's blood all over the place and they're making an agreement. It's sort of like, it's sort of like getting, um, what's the person who comes out to verify that it's signed? What's that called? A uh, notary. It's sort of, that was the ancient notary system, just dead halves of animals with blood in the middle. Um, and, and, you know, so, so you'd walk through, and in fact, God walks through. God appears as a smoking fire pot and walks through this covenant, you know, kind of the big epic covenant with Abraham that we're still within as God deals with these people in Deuteronomy. But you find out over time what the story is, how that ends up. The, I mean, the reason you go through it is, may either of us experience, you know, may our blood be shed if we break our side. Well, in the end, it's God whose blood is shed in the end of the whole story, even though we're the ones that didn't do our side. And you look here today at this passage, and if you're one of those curious people, you know, you may be reading while I'm talking, reading ahead or reading behind and seeing all these other scary things about curses of the covenant. And yeah, they're all over the place here, and it's kind of scary and weird to read, but what's the end of the big story is that God allowed the curses to go on his own son, the curses that belonged on us because of our flaky spiritual devotion. This is what I'm talking about when I say a covenantal moment is a t- moment to be in awe of God's grace. The gracious agreements he makes with you where we say, we want win-win, I, want, I always want win-win, I don't want to take a loss. And God says, I'll make it, I'll take a loss so that you can come out with the win. That's God's love for you. Do you know that, God? Have you forgotten about that kind of grace? Have you ever entered into that? Is that the story of God that you've heard? Or did you just think he was a rule, a rule guy shooting out all these unreasonable rules about what you need to do on Sunday? Or is he the God who says, come to me with all your flakiness. May, have another covenantal moment in return and set your heart on remaining in me again. I'll receive you over and over and over again. So be in awe. This is a covenantal moment. Be in awe of God's grace. There's no other way to start one of these, you know, it's really a covenantal moment. Another way to put that, with uh, pun intended, is come to Jesus moment. You know, it's a moment of just, okay, where are we? Let's assess. Let's reevaluate. And it has to start with this awe. Otherwise, I know some of you who are church people, you know, it's just all about guilt, right? Oh, I've been terrible. I should really, oh, I feel awful about myself. Start with the awe. Okay, yes, we're all flaky. Start with the awe of God's approach towards you. And then move towards this invitation to remember. Right away, uh, it starts with it in chapter 29, verse 2. You saw, or sorry, your eyes have seen all that the Lord did. And he goes on and on. To recall the experiences, to remember what they've seen as they've embarked on the new journey. Every week here, this is why we do this. Every week we do the Lord's Supper and communion. Where I grew up, there was a, um, there was a 
like an altar sort of thing, and right here was a, a side of the table that said it had engraved in it. I know it's sort of weird, but it had engraved right here, this do in remembrance of me. Remembrance. And there is something that I heard growing up a lot, part of the liturgy. We don't say it usually quite like this. I will today. But it would be said like this. The, the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Remember. It, it's something we do every week and kind of one of those arguments for come, come every week if you can because we need these things in our lives that help us remember the goodness that we've attached ourselves to with God's grace. We need all kinds of things like that. And this one's great. It's experiential. You, you taste, you touch, you, hold, you eat, you look at it. Even the water's up here to remember baptism and touch and cross yourself. We need these kinds of things. You know, we went on this sabbatical, and one of the best times we had was um, on the northern coast on, on a lake, or on the, on the lake, on the, in the ocean, on the beach, and we're, we're sprawling out for a couple of days on the beach just, just looking and searching for sea glass, you know, those little colorful pieces that come because people used to dump garbage in the ocean. Um, and so we, we're collecting all these colorful little gla- tiny smooth glass pieces, and then we went and got a bottle, an old antique bottle from a local antique store, and we put all these rocks and glass into it, and we put it on a shelf in our house, and it's like this memorial to those great family days of leisure together. You know, it just kind of brings it back. You, you walk past it, and there it is. It's placed, it's positioned right there in our life. And I want you to consider what in your life spiritually functions that way. What do you have positioned in your life that you're going to bump up against that's going to recall for you the incredible awe of the grace of God who takes a loss so you can take the win? What do you have in your life? Certainly this place we try to fill with, that, with those things as we come together each week. But, you know, there's a lot of other ways you can put things in your life and get creative most of the best ideas just come from you and your creative considering of what, is, what will speak to me so I won't spell it out. Invitation to remember, and last of all, invitation to commit. Ah, remember, commit. An invitation to commit. When you get into verses 17 and 18, and the, the Christmas lights here, the green and the red, aren't really helping me out in terms of reading here. But... Uh, when you get into verses 17 and 18, there's, a, there's some talk about idols. You saw the detestable images and the idols of wood and stone. What Moses is doing here is saying, it's, it's time to commit to some specific ways of life. It's time to commit before you get into trouble, in a sense. And when you commit, when you make vows within covenant, and it you know, kind of applies to marriage as well. I've done a couple marriages this summer, and you know, I talk about this. It's sort of like promising to do something in advance when you don't feel like doing it later on. You know, you don't declare at a wedding your feelings for each other. Sometimes we do that. But a lot of the ones that I do, <laughs> I make people do vows, right? So this is not just I feel great today about you. This is I'm not going to feel great about you in the future. 
but I'm still going to stick with you. I'm going to remain with you. There's, there's times in life, covenantal moments you've got to commit, and Moses is trying to get the Israelites to say that you're going to be surrounded by a culture and just, you're going to be surrounded by cultural practices that just suck you in like you haven't had since you were in Egypt. And so let's stop a minute and consider the specifics. Let's vow as we go into the new land to some specifics about how we will live so we're not swallowed up into the stream of a culture. And I think those words, those getting swallowed up into the pressure of culture and the season, speak to us right now. You think about what are, the, what are the gods of the fall season for you? I don't know, maybe it's no different than other seasons. I know as a parent with school happening and with my job starting again, you know, there's, there's a lot of things I see. There's a lot of gods that are pulling on us and asking you to basically worship them and put everything down at their feet. And so the landscape looks like sometimes just the siren's call of busyness in the fall. Are you going to come out the end of the fall basically living an unexamined life with zero limits? Covenantal moment says, let's think about not ending up in that place. Let's think about the, uh, the gods of work and busyness and do this so that people like me or do this so that I get more money or do this so that I... Um, don't get in trouble and there's all these voices in our heads and we start serving the gods of work or career. Is there any time or space for you to still be connected to God? Start serving all kinds of other gods. Maybe it's, the, maybe it's school. Maybe it's the kids' school. The gods of getting the perfect education for our kids. Maybe it's the... Um, maybe it's just the... You know, maybe it's sports. Maybe it's some kind of getting super wrapped up in football, which is not me, but I kind of hear these little conversations and rumors. What are you, you know, what are you getting wrapped up in? Basketball? It's not, it hasn't even started yet. We're in World Cup. We're in the World Cup. Two, two Kings players are on the team now. Let's just let's not forget. There's something happening right now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, you know what? We need a covenant moment, moment. And the reason I think now's a good time is because if you look about 100 to 120 days from now, what's the, if you haven't kind of set your mind and vowed to something now, what you're going to end up is you're going to be like, oh man, I'm drowning. And then the gods of Christmas and consumerism are going to hit you. And the gods of Cyber Monday are going to be knocking at your door and work Christmas parties and all the rest. And you're going to wake up with this giant, like, uh, workaholic hangover on January 1 where you just got swept up in the culture and the gods of everything. Let's, let's think about vows now. Very simply, think about that phrase that you started with that you wrote down. Hopefully I haven't been so boring that you've had to look down 15 times so far, but look at that. I am, am I rooted in grace? That's what this is all about. And what vow might you make? You might write down next to that phrase at some point today or this morning that you, you want to vow something, you want to do something, you want to commit. That's really the word I'm looking for. You want to commit to limit yourself in some way this fall so that you are rooted in grace. Stop and look at that issue in your life for a second. What does that mean? Is it something in your marriage? Does your marriage, if you're married, does it need a two-hour date night that's long overdue where you get a sitter if you have kids, and you talk about this, the hard conversation of the spiritual state of your marriage and of your, of your family. 
That's a hard conversation for many people. Or is it, um, is it a recommitment that somehow relates to City Life Church, maybe to commit that this will be a place not just of bumping in and out because it, you know, there's something kind of nice about it, but maybe you'll move on to the next kind of thing or the next philosophy that will help you through the next week, but that this will be a place where you actually bring your honest questions and doubts and struggles and for a consistent amount of time and you say, I'm going to bring my questions and I'm going to sort these things out before I just kind of do the easy thing and move on. Or maybe it has something to do with joining. There's actually membership vows you can take and connect more with the mission of City Life Church. Maybe it has to do with attending something and maybe church-related, but that's not just what I'm thinking about. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that needs tending to. Oh, maybe a mentor or maybe you mentor someone. Maybe you get discipled or maybe someone else disciples you. Maybe you need to vow to forgive someone in this fall or for however long it takes before you can. Maybe it's a little message that you put somewhere inside your medicine cabinet or somewhere else that you'll see regularly that says, I will forgive, insert name. Might take months, might take years. Is there a vow that you need to take today? Maybe it relates to one of the best things I think that you could do to remain in God's love. Maybe it relates to some daily or weekly practice of scripture reading, prayer, journaling, connecting with the conversation between you and the God of grace. Maybe it's some vow like that that you write down. I would even suggest, if you're open to suggestions, that you would tell someone what you wrote down at some point between now and next Sunday. Because um, that's just a practical thing. That's science. If you tell people something you want to do, you're more likely to follow through on it. With children, I have four children, and as they're younger, they have a terrible time getting them to go to sleep. As they get older, you get a little sarcastic. And so when my older boys get up and come into the living room and they say, I can't fall asleep, one of the things I like to say is, you know what? Recently, a lot of scientists got together, and they found out that, that there's actually the the best way to never fall asleep is to be in the living room talking to your parents. <laughs> and that no, no one has ever fallen asleep like that. Um, and in many ways, that translates over to our spiritual lives. The best way <laughs> to not grow, and probably, quite frankly, to be shrinking spiritually, is to not be doing anything about it. <laughs> or like I've talked to some of you in one-on-one, to not, not be in the game, just doing something. However bad you're failing at it, just pinning something there, saying, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to position this in an annoyingly obvious place in my life (laughs) so that I just keep in the game of trying to remain rooted in God's grace. Let's pray. Gracious God, make these words come alive to us as we need them. And may they lead us towards generous, gracious giving of ourselves to others and to this city. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.